He purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Classed as a naturally rare habitat. There are a few in the south of Te'ika Maui, but most are in Te Waipaunamu. For me, a braided river is a very complex ecosystem, but in general, I guess it's a river that runs from a very steep gradient with lots of erosion in the hills, and that forms a lot of sediment getting pushed through the environment and creates these big gravel beds where um, the channels shift and change, and it's a lot more fluid than your single-channel standard river that we think of in Europe or the UK. If you've flown over the South Island on a clear day, you'll have seen them in all their glory. Silver snaking lines heading from the Southern Alps to the sea, with gravel floodplains that can be kilometres wide, where they've been permitted to roam. Or, driving, you see snapshots too. Big weaving channels of water, and typically when we think of them, we think of the really long bridges on State Highway 1 that you cross, and these massive big bodies of water, which are actually just one component of a braided river, but that's what we see from our cars. Just one component. Because instead of seeing strips of water and heaps of gravel, we maybe need to look at them through Holly's eyes and see the complex and highly variable ecosystems that they are. There's a lot of um, heterogeneity or variation in the environment because of how much the channels can move and because of the bed surface, so it's gravel. And gravel is very porous, which means that you can also get springs upwelling and there's groundwater running through and this forms a lot of different physical variation within even the water, um, but also within the surrounding land as well. So as a channel moves, it will leave a fresh patch of gravel, whereas places it hasn't been in a while, other plants start popping up um, that form new spaces for terrestrial invertebrates to live or bandidopterals to live, such as the raolia beds which are these beautiful cushion plants with lots of different colours of greens and yellows and our native bees just love them. Holly and I are sitting on a gravel bed in the middle of the Cass River, about a kilometre and a half up from where it empties into Lake Tekapo in Canterbury. She chose the Cass River to study because it still has populations of some of our endangered braided river birds and it's relatively easy to access, but also because it remains quite unconstrained it can do its heterogeneity thing. Because actually, this ability to shift and change is under threat for many of our braided rivers, especially those on the lowland areas where land encroachment is squeezing them, changing their very nature. Holly's PhD, then, is about understanding this ecosystem as a whole, so we can better conserve and manage braided rivers in the future. To investigate the complexity of this river system, Holly is basically looking at three levels in the food web. Bottom to top, it goes invertebrates, fish, and then birds. And she's using two main methods. Isotopes to investigate the interconnectivity and movement of the different creatures, and biomass calculations to investigate how much life is across the whole river system at any one time. On this trip, she's working on those biomass measurements. For invertebrates, she's using something nicely abundant to help her quantify them. Here we're using rocks. So we pick the rock up and get the invertebrates, shake them off the rock into the net in the water, and then we put them into these little puddles that I'm just filling up here with ethanol. Unfortunately, these um, these guys have to die. <laughs> They're going to die for science. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I did read this very funny thesis once that had dedicated the whole thesis to all the bugs that had died for it, <laughs> for the knowledge that had been generated. It is quite sad, but um, that's the only way we can really identify them and count them properly. And yeah, so we're going to do five rocks, and each rock we also measure the length, width, and height to try and get an estimate of surface area. And we also get that instrument there, which is called a benvo torch. It measures chlorophyll A. And so we're going to measure how much chlorophyll is on the rocks as well because um, a lot of these invertebrates are herbivores and they'll just eat the algae or the periphyton off the rocks. So will these little bottles um, with 70% ethanol and whatever bugs come off the rocks, they'll come back with you or you're going to identify them right now? No, we take them back to the lab and we go through them all and we count every single one in there. And I also measure, or well, me and Ted, Ted helps me in the lab, <laughs> we measure the length of at least 10 of every species we find so that we can get estimates of uh, body length for all of them. And then there's a bunch of equations we use to turn that into dry weight. So again, this is like the biomass that yep. you're looking for, that quantity Biomass of invertebrates, biomass amount of fish, biomass amount of birds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the invertebrates. How about the fish? What Holly does is a bit different to the traditional method, but she has her reasons. Normally when you're getting fish densities, what we do is we block off the whole channel with one big net at both ends, and it'll be a 30 metre reach. And then you fish the whole reach three times. So you're um, trying to catch all the fish within the reach. But these channels, because they're so big and the gravel's hard to get them into and also that is super time-consuming and um, we're doing like four transects with uh, seven to 12 channels on each transect. We just It's not super realistic to be able to do that within a good weather window. So we just do this sort of semi-quantitative rougher density estimate instead. So it's time for the Ghostbusters machine. <laughs> it really looks like a Ghostbusters machine, doesn't it? They've got three buckets set out at intervals, and for her semi-quantitative method, they'll fish two metre by one metre reaches with three sweeps to make sure they get all the fish in that area. Holly and Zoe wade out into the channel. Holly with the electric fishing machine on her back, wand in her hand, and Zoe with the net set down tight to the gravel bed to catch the fish that pop out. Hey, Rudy, fishing. And up. Are you wriggling around again? Four little fish. Four little fish in the first run. <laughs> and they're probably all quarto. The fish are dropped into the bucket at the side of the channel, and Holly and Zoe wade out to do another two sweeps. Three sweeps done, they move up a few metres to the next bucket they've laid out. Three sweeps again, and then up to the final bucket. Fishing completed, it's time to count and measure the fish. So you're trying to catch one now with your hands so that you can measure the length of it? Yeah, because um, what we're trying to get is sort of an estimate of total biomass. So that's the combination of all the fish in the river, how much sort of mass of fishes there because one fish is not always the same size as another fish you know so if I was just going to count them we probably wouldn't get an accurate representation of the distribution of fish sizes here 
because a lot of these are really small but then some of them are quite big. Um, that's 52 and it's quite cool because you can see the cohorts change over time. So in June we'll get lots of little ones that are sort of 39 to 45 millimetres long and then this is an older cohort. And how big do these fish get up to? Um, they don't get massive. I think, I'm trying to remember what the biggest one I've caught here is, maybe 12 centimetres? But the big ones are quite hard to find because there's so few of them and there's so much river. <laughs> oh, this one's wriggling around a lot. 45. These species of fish, they are really good at climbing. So you can see their pectoral fins, they wiggle around like that and they can climb up dams and buckets and all sorts of things. It's quite cool. Goodbye little fish. One channel done, they pack up and move to the next. As we look across the braids, the black-fronted terns, Tarapirohe, with their black caps, white cheek stripes and pale grey bodies flit and waft above the many channels of water. So he's probably just walking at the moment looking for, or she, I don't know actually if that's a male or a female, but looking for invertebrates um, or fish in these channels. See how it's floating over. It might dive in, you never know. <laughs> so these are the black-fronted terns, yeah. but there are other birds that also call this river home from time to time. Yep, so um, there are khaki here, there are ribills, bandidotrels, and then oyster catchers, black-billed gulls. We, we usually get a big black-billed gull colony up here somewhere um, by December. Black bat gulls as well sometimes, and hawks. Yeah, lots of lots of birds hang out around here. The hawks, like, there's um, marshy areas created by the old braid plane down there that they hang out in more. Yeah, whereas most of the other birds nest on the actual gravel riverbed. And then the banded dotrels also, they can nest in the gravel or they can nest in the more uh, stable sort of rowlier vegetation patches. They don't need water to be right there. Later on in the week, Holly will look for colonies and do bird counts of the black-fronted terns, banded dotrels and ribills. Plus, she'll use a drone to take aerial photographs to compare to the other times she's been here, to see those changes in the braids. Her biomass counts will all feed into looking at the big picture of how stable this overall ecosystem is, even as parts of it fluctuate dramatically. Because there's lots of different types of physical environments and channels that I'm measuring, we'd expect there to be different things that live in them, but also through time they will be affected in different ways. So the main braid might be flooded very frequently, whereas the spring might be attached to surface water flow only in a big flood so they're getting disturbed at different levels and what we mean by disturbed is that biomass is being taken out of the system and so what we'd expect because they're changing at different rates is that biomass is changing at different rates at the same time within one river so at a small scale when I measure a main braid through time I see that Sometimes after a big flood there's hardly anything in there and then other times when it's been stable and warm for a while there's heaps and heaps of stuff and it's absolutely cooking like we saw before there were some really big mayflies and some quite big fish. Um, those wouldn't be there after a big flood because again because of that gravel surface all the rocks are tumbling over and there's no food and they're just getting washed out by the force of the water as well. But because we've got other areas in the same river that aren't getting flooded at the same time, 
they might continue to peak in biomass while other places are getting wiped out and there's nothing there. Traditionally, aquatic ecologists would say, they would look at the main braided and they'd say, gosh, braided rivers are just deserts of biodiversity. There's nothing in them. But in reality, if we start aggregating all those different patches into one ecosystem, we see that those peaks and troughs cancel out and it might actually be a lot more stable than we think at a bigger scale of interactions and movement. Thanks to Holly Harris and Zoe Hamilton of the University of Canterbury, to Fare Wangana o Waitaha. Ko Clarkin Canana Ho, to Kaiho Tu o Tene Hotaka, i Afina Mai a William Ray Rawa ko Ellen Rikers. I produced this one with help from William and Ellen. Sound engineering was by William Saunders, and Tim Watkin is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. Kia faia ite au huruhanga ite tahi taupanga paiake kia koe. Follow the Our Changing World podcast on your favourite podcast app. Our show webpage is at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld, where you can see some photos and videos from the Cass River. You can say hi to us by emailing ourchangingworlds at rnz.co.nz or message us on Facebook or X where we are at RNZ Science. Tēnā koe i mai. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Cannon. Have a great week. Kia pai. Te wiki.